Chapter Twenty Two of Bonne Marie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susanna Mason. Bonne Marie: A Tale of Normandy and Paris by Henry Greville, translated by Mary Neal Sherwood. Chapter Twenty Two. Quarrels and Insults. When she was again dressed in her simple black walking costume, she threw a veil over her hat and passed through the door devoted to the use of the concert troupe. As she, with lowered head, caring only to avoid every eye, passed hurriedly along, she felt her hand seized and drawn through an arm, and turning hastily to see who dared treat her with so little ceremony, she saw Morin. She made no objections, but let him do as he would. They walked on for some minutes in profound silence. Morin held Bonne Marie's arm pressed against his heart, and she felt herself almost borne along by his masterful strength. Her heart was very full. It was so delicious to have a master, and to feel that she was no longer alone in the world, a world so full of disappointments, jealousies, and angry suspicions. "'What was Melonard saying to you?' suddenly asked the young painter. In the last half-hour his love for Bonne Marie had taken a strong start. Before it had been a momentary caprice, but since he had heard her insulted, it had developed into a passion, and he had become suddenly jealous, not of a past in which he counted for nothing, but of a present where he wished to reign and conquer. "'I do not know what he said, some foolish thing or another,' answered Bommarie. "'But Clotilde, did you hear Clotilde? I thought she loved me.' and Bonne Marie's heart swelled to bursting while the tears stood in her eyes. "'Do women ever love each other?' asked Morin, philosophically. "'That idea is a delusion and a snare.' "'I love her very dearly,' said Bonne Marie, with a sob. "'You do a very unwise thing, then.' "'But she has been very kind to me.' "'Not for your own sake entirely, you may wager your life. When she has done you a kindness, it was for the purpose of doing harm to someone else.' "'Do you really think so?' asked Bonne-Marie, aghast. "'I know it. She was afraid an old rival of hers would be engaged by Morissette, and managed matters in a way that you took the place which would otherwise have been hers.' "'How could you possibly know this?' asked the young girl. Morin had the best reason in the world for not answering this question, as he wished to stand high in Bonne-Marie's good graces. He could not lie altogether either, therefore he answered— one of her most intimate friends told me so. I am as certain of it as it were myself whom Clotilde had told. Bonne-Marie walked along with her eyes riveted on the pavement. It was raining a little, a very little, one of those gentle autumnal showers which are as brief and soft as those in the spring, and do not demand an umbrella. The atmosphere was exquisitely fresh. Ah, and this is friendship— thought the girl, half audibly. "'No,' answered Morin, "'this is not friendship. It is only its lying semblance.' Bonne Marie involuntarily thought of Jean-Baptiste, who had for her a vastly different friendship from that of Clotilde, but his friendship again was something more. It was love. Morin, too, seemed to love her, and his love was sweet and consoling. She did not speak. "'This Melonard is an absolute idiot,' said Morin, who wished to bring Ferris to a crisis. "'Yes, and how foolish he looked when he saw Clotilde come in. 
I recognize in him only one good quality. Melanard, a good quality? Pray tell me what it is, for I confess I have yet failed to discover that he has one. That of having had sense enough to wish to buy one of your pictures. Morin laughed heartily. But it was not for that he came. You know very well. It was on your account. Bonne Marie lifted her surprised and innocent eyes to his. He is the most tiresome person in the world, she said with a sigh. But tell me, are you so rich that you could refuse to sell him a picture? I am not at all rich. I manage to live from day to day, that is all. But when I have finished your portrait, it will be quite another thing. Then do you mean that I can be of use to you? Morin smiled and pressed his companion's arm more closely to his heart. I count on you to make my fortune, he answered. We will go down to posterity together. He is not rich, thought Bonne Marie, and yet he refused fifteen hundred francs because I was there. How disinterested! Tell me, urged Morin, shall we go down to posterity together? If you desire it answered the girl softly, in great agitation, troubled by the sense she gave to these words. They walked slowly, on for another square. "'I love you, Lucien,' resumed the painter suddenly. "'I love you to such a degree that I am ready to commit any absurdity for your sake. When that idiot was leaning over you and whispering in your ear, I was inclined to knock him down. You do not love Melinard, then?' "'Love him? What folly!' The other day, when he came to my studio in such an odd way, I thought you allowed it, or even desired it. Bonne Marie opened her lips hastily. It is jealousy, I know, he continued. There is nothing, too, more utterly foolish than jealousy, and when I am under the influence of that passion, I can be weaker and more idiotic than Melinard. The girl smiled faintly. Their eyes met. They walked more slowly through the deserted streets he had especially selected. The rain was falling faster, and the badly lighted streets were nearly deserted, and the hour was too, the hour too was growing late. Morin determined to avail himself of this opportunity. "'You know,' he said, "'how pleasant it is in my studio. But you cannot know how sweet it is for me to hear the rustle of a woman's dress, to feel her arms on the back of my chair, and know that she is looking at my work with me.' Imagine the joy of having my pretty model before my eyes at all hours, times, and seasons, to paint when I was not, to paint when I was in the humor, when I felt the inspiration, and not when the hands of the clock point to two o'clock, or only from two to four. Think what it would be, Lucian, to hear you sing for me alone. My name is not Lucian, said the young girl suddenly. I am called Bonne Marie. Bonne Marie. "'That is infinitely prettier,' cried Maureen. "'It is poetical and fantastic. "'Whence comes this charming name?' "'It is a name common at La Hague.' "'Maureen did not even know where La Hague was, "'and she explained it to him. "'Almost unconscious that he was doing so, "'the young singer described her wild, strange country. "'Almost unconscious that she was doing so, "'the young singer described her wild, strange country.' and then went to speak of herself, of her childhood, and of all her youthful dreams. A strange longing to tell him all about herself carried her away. It seemed as if she had determined before Maureen uttered the irrevocable words that he should know all that was in her power to tell him in regard to herself. But he had no corresponding desire. 
He loved her in the present only, and cared little for anything else. But he listened nevertheless in delighted surprise at so much poetry in this café singer, and also by the elevated sentiment, sentiments she expressed. By the elevated sentiments she expressed. What a charming companion I should have, and what a delicious winter we might pass. By this time they had reached Bonne Marie's door. She had stood still and waited for words that came not. He moved forward to go in with her. No, no, she said. You are right, mused Morin. It is never wise to incur the risk of being uselessly compromised. Tomorrow, then, I shall expect you at the studio. Tomorrow, yes, tomorrow, said Bonne Marie gently. He extended his hand, she laid her own slender fingers lightly within it, and he held them silently and closely. Bonne Marie was also silent. The girl was intensely happy. The happiness was the happiness so long dreamed of was now close at hand. The happiness of being beloved by a man of whom she could be proud, whose manners and words were elegant and refined, whose mind was cultivated, and whose name was de destined to be famous. She dreamed of a charming home, surrounded by flowers and sculptures, velvety carpets and ample curtains. Morin had drawn her towards him. The street was empty, and the rain was falling quietly and persistently. He leaned toward her and pressed a kiss on her hair, all shining with tiny drops of rain. She submitted, for this fleeting caress was very dear and precious, but she summoned all her strength. Tomorrow, she repeated. She pushed open the door, which was never bolted until eleven, and flew up to her room on the fourth floor. As soon as she went and as soon as she went in, she opened the window and looked out. The shadow of Louise Morin was clearly defined on the shining pavement. Indifferent to the weather, he walked off with a slight step, as if he was the happiest of men without a care in the world. He loves me, he loves me, and added Bonne Marie. I love him with my whole heart. And the girl was half frightened as she realized how this love was gaining possession of her whole nature. She closed her window and lighted her candle, and, seated in the low chair, she meditated long and earnestly. The cracking of the glass at the base of the burnt-out candle aroused her, hours later, for time had seemed very short to her in the wakening dreams in which she had been absorbed. No. Oh she murmured as she rose with a shiver from her chair. It is not remorse for a woman to love as I love him, not, at least, if it be her husband whom she adores. She was soon asleep, a light sleep, during which her soul seemed to preserve a consciousness of her profound happiness. End of chapter 22 Recording by Susanna Mason